Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Hadass Kuznet with Amy Hartranf. She's General Manager of Prohibition Taproom. And we're talking about the Halloween event, Night of the Living Cider, at Kensington Quarters, Tuesday the 31st, from 6 p.m. until the end of the cider. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, so, Amy, what? tell me about the event, first of all. Uh, how did you come up with it? Of course. Uh, well, first, um, Hadaz, thank you so much for having me here. Tim Queter, the general manager at Kensington Quarters, is a, a longtime friend of mine. And actually, if we're talking about um, cider in Philadelphia, he was one of the first people that was serving sort of more obscure, old world esoteric ciders uh, back at Petrus um, a couple years ago. So yeah, Tim and I were talking um, about collaborating our various uh, cider interests. Um, we both really love natural cider. We love seeing people that are doing things that have everything to do with where it's grown, the terroir of cider. We want to see people talking about cider the way they talk about wine. It's just not part of the conversation yet, even though cider has kind of, it's maybe a trend right now. At the same time, we're still acting like it's new. It's been a part of our history. It's been a part of other countries' history for hundreds of years. Spain, Italy, France, the UK, they've all been making cider for hundreds of years, probably longer, actually. Um, so why did we have like a stop and a start in, in- Philadelphia. Well, prohibition is is kind of the the number one source of that. I mean, if you look at that time period, we were making apple brandy, we were making cider, we were making rye more than anything else. And uh, like the whole Johnny Appleseed story, like he was spreading seeds around, not for grandma's pies, but for you know the thirst of of uh, settlers heading west. So prohibitionists actually were sanctioned by the government to go and rip out these trees unless you you know as a an orchard owner. Um, as a farmer, if you agreed to grow only pie apples or the the approved apples, you could keep your orchard. But if you want, if and if you wanted, were growing apples for cider, people would just come and burn or, or ransack or you know rip these trees out. So we lost many years of cider production and knowledge and, and learning that Spain and Italy and France they never stopped. So they've they've continually continued to hone their their beautiful you know, beautiful cider practices. So there are a lot of people now, and they have been actually for this whole time, but it's become a bigger part of the conversation. People that have honed their focus to say, this is American cider. These are apples that have been a part of our history because an apple, actually, if an apple falls from the tree, it grows a brand new tree. If you want to maintain an actual varietal of apple, you have to graft. So there are thousands and thousands of varietals that are even undiscovered that uh, certain uh, cideries and, and cider makers and farmers are going out into the forests and finding these long lost orchards that are left over. People during Prohibition, I'm sure some of them, rather than see their hard work burned to the ground, abandon their orchards. And I, I would like to think in some sort of magical way that they knew that the forest would overgrow around it and that one day we would find it. And so that's what people are doing. There's wild foraged cider makers right now that are going out and finding these gnarly little orchards that uh, have all kinds of apples that we wouldn't even have. We have no names for them, you know, and making beautiful. Yeah, it's incredible. And and it's a, it's a little piece of our history that some people are really attuned to and, and making things that actually taste like an area. 
So, I mean, that's what we talk about when we talk with wine about terroir. We're saying this, this tastes like the energy and everything about it, the soil and the air. This is the taste of that region. And so in a time period where we're talking about cider all the time, there are many different camps. There are people making cider that are just sort of buying some juice from concentrate and we're making cider and we're adding some concentrated pineapple or whatever to it. And that's fine because there are people that like that. But what Tim and I really wanted to do with this event was sort of have an entire list of all the places that cider exhibits its terroir. So we're going to have some from Spain. We're going to have some from Italy. We're going to have some from France and from the UK, what I'm kind of calling old world cider. And then also some from several different states in the United States of people that are actually, we are growing the apples on our site or we're going out and wild foraging them. And these apples actually taste like this region. And the cider that we're making, we're using wild yeast, natural processes, no pesticides. You are actually drinking, say, you know, like Shaxbury's uh, Dorset. It's, it's a taste of the Dorset Valley in Vermont. That is actually old wild apples from Vermont that may have been running wild for the past hundred years. Huh. So now in our region we have a lot of farms. Especially, it's, and this is the season for apple picking. And do you see growers taking advantage of the nearby farms? Absolutely. Um, I think over the past couple of years there are more local ciders than ever for sure. Freecon Farms and uh, the guys out in uh, Lancaster, Big Hill. They're all they're all making ciders from Pennsylvania apples. We have a great climate and soil for cider making. So um, I'm sure more and more we're going to see even more of that. What makes for a good cider? It's balance. As much as I personally would love to see uh, us find more apples that kind of in the same way that we talk about wine, that single varietal, ideally for me a day in the future where someone says, hey, you know what? I really love Ashmead's kernel. That's my favorite kind of cider. Like that's the one cider for me, like the way we talk about Chardonnay or Pinot Noir or Cabernet or something like that, that there are actual varietals that people kind of hold as like, that's that's my cider. But we're not there yet. And also the way that it works is it's about balance. There are some apples that are for, uh, and they kind of, um, they're broken down with, I, th- I think it was the UK uh, broke down into four categories where it's bitter, sharp, bittersweet, sharp and sweet. So you need that balance. So the old, older world ciders, you're going to see 70 varietals in that particular cider because they've picked each one based on skin contact, the tannins and and, uh, and the acid and, and sugar. So I'd say the best cider to me personally would be a balance of, of all the things. You see a lot of really interesting ciders coming out of the Basque region of, of Spain where you have sort of a smoky undertone, but like high concentration of acid up front, but then it's dry, but it's sweet a little bit too. And it does all these things to your palate that that's what you want. You want that interest where you're not really sure, was it dry or was it sweet? It's all the things. That's just an example of, of just one, but there's amazing French ciders and ciders from England as well that have honed that balance of so many apples. Whereas in America, I think we're still kind of finding our balance. There's definitely single varietal American ciders that are wonderful and very clean. And then you have some people that are going out, like I said, wild foraging these old heirloom varietals that we brought over from England or France or or wherever. So it's, yeah, it's about balance. It sounds like we have a, a long way to go as far as our learning curve to kind of catch up with the European ciders. And also, do you see, like, what would it take to really make ciders a staple of the American bar. Well, it's so funny because I I think it's hard that we have to say that we have to catch up to Europe. I personally would love to see us get to a place where we say this is American style cider. But right now I feel like American style cider is considered by the general public to be very sweet. We're only just coming out of that time period of I know when I first started drinking cider it was or American ciders. I remember thinking, man, they're all so sweet. I can only have one or two. But at the same time it's also seen I think in some ways as a substitute like a gluten-free substitute for beer in beer bars. So I think as the general public gets away from that idea that this is, oh, well, I'm gluten-free and I can't have beer, 
no, you get to have cider. We all get to have cider. And the more we know about it. Cider's good. It's it's incredible. And the but diversity you that's out, available. It's gluten-free. It is it the is good gluten-free. gluten-free option. It is. It is. A, it's a wonderful gluten-free option. But you see it oftentimes in beer bars that you have, say, one cider line on tap, which actually 10 years ago, we didn't necessarily see that. So it's, it's amazing we've gotten to that point. And that was actually when I first came on uh, running the bar program at Prohibition, I asked my boss for permission. I said, please, please let me do two. And he said, listen, if if the people want it and you make it work, it, then it'll work. Out of 13 lines, we devoted two to cider and it has it has worked. People have come and said, oh man, you know, I, I want to like cider, but it's so sweet. And I go, but it's not. It's everything. It's everything that you, you know, if you want it to be sweet, we have one. It's like beer. Beer can be all kinds. It can be all the things. Why does it have to only be one thing? So I think as the conversation continues, I think it's a great thing that it's popular right now. There are some trends that you see as trends and go, oh, well, it's just going to it's going to fall off. But then there's trends that you look at and go, no, this is great because we're all talking about something that's actually awesome. This sounds like an extension of the craft beer movement now, kind of like a seasonal extension of that. For sure. But then again, we can have cider year round. You we know, can. at the same time, sure, it's fall. Apples are, are right on our mind. But at the same time, you know, it's funny, you see sort of the rise and fall of, say, like the pumpkin beer thing. And, and maybe as we go forward, we realize that the best things aren't necessarily the spices or the things that we add to things seasonally. It's actually what grows at that time of the year. And so we're talking about apples or we talk about pumpkins because they grow at that time of the year or they're being harvested at that time of the year, maybe we don't add anything else to them. Why do we have to add other stuff to them? Why can't we just enjoy what comes out of the ground at that time period and that becomes the taste of the season? So tell me about Night of the Living Cider. Are you doing like all ciders on tap? We'll do a couple ciders on tap. There will be a couple that aren't necessarily available in keg that will be serving by the bottle by the glass like wine. And we have one or two that you might never see again, actually, that are very, very, very small production that we'll have by the glass as well. But Probably, I would imagine, at least two on tap. But they will run a spectrum, like I said, of uh, sort of old world European. We're trying not to repeat. We want to see like the whole spectrum of, of what 2017 is, is allowing, at least Pennsylvania, in the cider scene. How did you curate the selection? Well, we look at the practices of, of the people involved. So we want to see people that are using natural practices, that are not using pesticides, that are growing things on their actual farm or, or on their orchard, or going out and, and, and finding these sort of buried orchards or out in the mountains. We want a taste of each of these regions with as minimal human intervention as possible, just very clean apples. Apples are fascinating. If you want the same apple, you have to graft. So that means that as an apple falls to the ground, and the seeds get spread around every single time you're going to have this brand new apple, which kind of even speaks more to uh, our old our old friend, Johnny Appleseed. You know, he's running around with all these seeds. As you know, everybody, I think, grew up with the story that he was heading west kind of ahead of the settlers with these seeds. And I grew up thinking that Johnny Appleseed was uh, sort of cultivating grandmas and pies and, and, you know, like, let's let's make pies for everybody. But no, if if he was actually doing that, he would have had to have been not spreading seeds around to all the settlers and, and he would have been he would have been grafting the whole time. So the fact that he was just spreading seeds going west is really fascinating because it means that you know kind of didn't care about what the varietals was where those actual apples would have been not the most pleasant to just bite into. He was spreading cider all the way west. What are you most looking forward to about Night of the Living Cider? And what what's your like what's most interesting to you about ciders? Uh just the sort of the diversity and and the um well yeah, I guess to answer that question the diversity and the fact that there's so much untouched territory. We still, at least as far as American ciders go, we, we know so little. Everyone's talking about it now and we're, we're, we're just growing. And that's that's a really fun place, I think, to be, to see something 
Because there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, you know, in some, in some ways, you can say that, that there's everybody's done something at some point and everybody's an expert about something. But to see as a whole that we're moving forward with something that has been dormant a little bit for, you know, 80 to 100 years is really exciting. Um, so that, to me, the fact that uh, there are so many varietals that are just sort of out there waiting to be discovered and orchards that are long lost, that have been overgrown by forest that are actually, you know, a piece of our history. That's exciting as well. There's just there's just a lot of uncharted territory. So I'm excited to see where it goes tomorrow and the next day. And as far as the Night of the Living Cider, I'm really excited to see people's reactions to all the different things that we're, we're going to have on hand. And hopefully since it's Halloween, people have fun with it. People come out in costume and, you know, it's, it's fish town, you know, everyone's going to be out and about and Hopefully that at the very least they stop in and see what we're doing. Has it always been this way? I mean, cider seems like a very seasonal drink to get into. Um, have people always, because I feel like all of a sudden now cider is becoming a big thing in Philadelphia. I'd say over the past five years, it's been a, a much bigger part of the conversation. I don't know. I guess I'm reluctant to say that it's a seasonal thing at this point because it's such a big part of other people's culture. I mean, of course, there is seasonality in that, you know, at the harvest and then you make the cider and then uh, you're, you would drink it at its freshest, but you can keep it. So you can have cider year round. What is your educational goal in Philadelphia, like with through events like Night of the Living Cider? Ideally, pull back from flavors, additional flavors, additional uh, sugar and all that just to to get people to talk about cider the way we talk about wine, the way we've just accepted. I mean, it's been a long time now that we've just accepted the way we talk about wine. We talk about tannins. We talk about acid. And this is dry. And this is sweet. And and the terroir. And this is, you know, what the soil was doing. And this is what the weather was like. That Oh, that was a good year for wine. Oh, that was a great year for Riesling. And You know, we talk about that stuff with wine, but we, we aren't at that point with cider yet. So to me, just to be a little tiny piece of of that conversation in Philadelphia and, and getting people talking about what they like about cider in that way is always rewarding. So that's, we're just going to keep doing that. <laughs> awesome. Amy yeah. Hartranft is the general manager of Prohibition Tap Room, and she is one of the organizers of Night of the Living Cider. It takes place at Kensington Quarters on Halloween, Tuesday the 31st, starts at 6 p.m. until the cider runs out. Anything else you want to add about the event? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. We'll be in costume. I don't know. Costumes are <laughs> yes, encouraged. Costumes are encouraged, <laughs> but not required. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> cider will make it easier yes. to put on Lots those costumes. Lots of cider. Amy, thank you so much. Hadass, thank you. <laughs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.